MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, July 27th, 2022. Today, the New York Times gets a massive trove of smoking gun emails in which Trump associates call the fraudulent electors fake repeatedly. Democratic chairs call for the Trump appointee for the Department of Homeland Security Office of Inspector General Kufari to recuse from the investigation into the deleted Secret Service texts sent during the failed coup attempt. The Washington Post gets a hold of a Department of Justice grand jury subpoena issued to fraudulent electors in Arizona. And a former Mueller prosecutor points out that one of the lines in Trump's January 7th speech that didn't get crossed out could criminally implicate him. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Pete Strzok. Ooh, that's right, everybody. I told you I would have a pretty neat guest host. Hi, Pete. Hey, Allison. How are you? I'm doing well. I, I, and, you know, of course, as I'm just wrapping up this script <laughs> and as we're just finished watching Attorney General Garland on Lester Holt on the NBC Evening News say, look, I told you, I will look at anyone no matter how high up that it, like he just he just kept repeating this thing that he's been repeating. Yeah, Trevor, Trevor Noah said it was the closest he's going to come to Samuel L. Jackson saying, motherfucker, did I stutter? What part did you <laughs> yeah. not understand that? So anyway, uh, yes, that was a that was a good. May I have some of your beverage to wash down? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. And and in the spirit of of news, uh, we have brand new breaking news uh, that, like I said, just came out after all that went down. And by the way, while I was reading this article. They were on MSNBC talking about Garland's not doing anything. It was kind of funny. So let me just read here the lead from The Washington Post. The headline is the Justice Department is investigating Trump's actions in January 6th criminal probe. This is the headline we've been waiting for. We've known they've been looking at Trump. They've been asking Oath Keepers and Proud Boys about Trump and communications with Trump. They've been, you know, they connected Donald Trump to the violence at the Capitol in the Tario indictment by saying it was, you know, within hours of his will be wild tweet. That's when they all went to work. It could easily be inferred that they were investigating, you know, Trump. They just it just he doesn't have a big file with his name on it. Trump being investigated. We knew he was being investigated for the 15 boxes of stuff, or at least the 15 boxes were being investigated. So here's what The Washington Post says. Justice Department is investigating Trump's actions as part of its criminal probe of efforts to overturn the 2020 election results. That's according to four people. Now, prosecutors who are questioning witnesses before a federal grand jury, including two top aides to Pence, that's Short and Jacob, have asked in recent days about conversations with Trump, his lawyers, and others in his inner circle who sought to substitute Trump allies for certified electors for some of the states Joe Biden won. Now, that's according to two people familiar with the matter. Wonder which two, uh, Pete? <laughs> Yeah, it's a mystery for all of us. No, I, I think this is exactly the kind of thing where people, you know, having worked on the other side, this is the kind of thing you would expect to see when there is an active investigation and the absence of information like this, the absence of people coming out or their attorneys coming out of the grand jury and trying to, you know, leak information or spin their story with the media. This sort of reporting is very much the sort of, 
sort of indicia of investigative activity that up to this point that a lot of people and you know recently including me have sort of said if they were getting to Trump you would think you would see things like this you would think you would see reporting about you know questions being asked of witnesses in the grand jury so you know to me this clearly indicates that again very recently within the past week or so the DOJ and the FBI and others started doing very overt type of investigation which is leaving creating all these ripples that are going out which are being picked up by the media and they're from that being picked up by all of us reading this and i think one more point about that i think when you get into the point where they're asking detailed questions about trump i think it's very reasonable to believe that you know this is doj's action but on the investigative side i think it is probably reasonable to believe that separate and distinct from all the boxes at mar-a-lago there is likely an open investigation into donald trump one because you are doing investigation you're gathering information about trump this isn't the sort of thing where you know you're looking at mark meadows and you ask a bunch of questions about trump and you put all those answers into mark meadows investigative file you want to have something where you are focusing all of your all the things you are gathering and obtaining through information relating to trump which is clear they're asking you want to put that in one place that relates to trump so when you go and you sit there and say what are we gathering what do we have where are we going it's all in one centralized spot so it doesn't say that i saw in this article that there's an fbi or you know some ig somebody having a formal open case on trump but i suspect based on this activity there very likely is yeah and and this is the kind of thing that you see more toward the end of an investigation when they start doing their overt stuff uh because you know if you, you don't first of all you don't do that early on because you don't start start at the top or, you know, at the outside hubs of a hub and spoke, you start at, you know, uh, or at the hub, you don't start there. But also because that's when you start to get to the recalcitrant witnesses, the witnesses who want to spin the story. You know, they, they've they been investigating a lot of stuff for, for the last year or so. You just, we, you know, it's just not stuff that we hear about. And this DOJ is pretty tight-lipped, I, I have to say. We we don't get uh, any of these leaks coming from the DOJ. These all these all come from, the only DOJ leaks I've heard is the 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 two prosecutors that were taken aback by Hutchinson's testimony or whatever. And I still question that a little bit, but um, anyway, it goes on to say, and this is kind of the cool part here. This is the mother load. This is the money buried lead. Prosecutors have asked hours of detailed questions about meetings. Trump led in December, 2020. I got, it's gotta be that 18th, December 18th meeting, right? And January, 2021, probably specifically the January 4th meeting. They've asked about his pressure campaign on Pence to overturn the election what instructions Trump gave his lawyers and advisors about fake electors and sending electors back to the states. Some of the questions focused directly on the extent of Trump's involvement in the fake elector effort led by his outside lawyers, including Eastman and Rudy, according to probably Mark Short and Greg Jacob. <laughs> but it's, you know, these, these people, it says. In addition, investigators in April, I like this part too, received phone records of key officials, the Justice Department, not the January 6th committee, including Meadows. And that's also according to two people familiar with the matter. That effort is another indicator of how expansive the January 6th probe has become well before the high-profile televised House hearings in June and July on the subject. So, Yeah, and that's so what? So that's three months they've had the toll records? And you're right. I mean, you do get to a point where all these people, like none of these folks are going to voluntarily cooperate. Mark Meadows is not going to come in and open his heart and tell everything that every dirty deed that was done in the White House, nor is Giuliani, nor is Stone or anybody else. So at some point, you've got to find a way to persuade them. Usually the best way to persuade is frequently, you know, criminal charges hanging over their heads saying, hey, look, you know, 
you are facing all these various charges with many, many years in jail. Why don't you consider making a deal with us and we will take some of those charges off the table and perhaps you should, you know, be a little more cooperative and tell us everything that happened. So, you know, again, this is the kind of thing that you do build up this way and you build up because when you get to the center circle, you're not likely to find anybody unless they've had a falling out that is going to want to talk. And for somebody like Trump, who doesn't write anything down, who, you know, eats or flushes whatever little notes he does take on a, you know, with Sharpie on a post-it note, <laughs> you've got to have somebody who is inside the meeting who hears whatever it is that he said, because there's unlikely to be a record. So you do need a cooperator if you're going to get to Trump, not not 100% necessarily, but it's highly, highly advantageous to do that. And, you know, seeing that it's Mark Meadows there, again, interesting, they source two people. Those could be the same two grand jury witnesses, right? They go in and the AUSAs, the the US, assistant United States attorneys are asking them question after question, you know, who did Mark Meadows called you here? Who's this number? You know, what was this call about? What was this call about? So that they knew they had the records. Um, but that's a that's an interesting sign. Last mm -hmm. point, though, we know Mark Meadows used Signal. And if he did that well, that is going to be a really, really hard set of data to get a hold of. So unless he left it on his phone. Oh, you guys can do it. I've seen you do it. <laughs> the signal, the signal's tough. I mean, they're, they're, you know, if you do it right, but I mean, everybody screws it up. Like, I have no doubt Rudy, like, didn't delete anything. <laughs> signal's still on his phone. It's probably got backed up to 17 different iCloud accounts. But if you do it well, if you are, you know, taking care to cover your tracks, it's going to be tough to recover some of that. And again, that's all. I know, but all in violation of the Federal Records Act, the toothless statute that requires. <laughs> Uh, admin senior administration officials and the president to maintain every record that they create. Yeah, but coming from the guys who literally just write their crimes out in emails and ask for pardons in emails, I'm not too worried about their understanding how Signal works. But, well, you know, we'll see. He only had, what, 18 phones? <laughs> so one of them's got to have something on yeah, the... Well, half of them got left in Ukraine and they're sitting, you know, being exploited back in Moscow right now. So that's... Yeah, yeah. Totally. Now, uh, something I want to tie together here with this Meadows information, because this is just how my brain works, bust out the murder board for me. It was in April, they got Meadows phone records, communications, etc. I assume they either got them from Meadows or from a 2703 order, which means you can go and grab people's phone records without telling them. But also what's important is they didn't make a declination decision on his contempt until June 3rd, over a month after they got a hold of these records, which leads me to believe, which was my what I was sort of positing, like they didn't just decline to prosecute him because they didn't have enough evidence or maybe because they thought it would be a hard case. But there's something else going on here. Navarro got his subpoena from the Department of Justice for his communications with Donald Trump on May 26th and, and said, fuck you. And so then they arrested him June 3rd. So I think the same thing probably happened with Meadows and Bannon and probably Scavino, too. They might have gotten some uh, other uh, DOJ subpoenas additional about additional information and whether or not they decided to work with the Department of Justice or or at least not tell them to go fuck themselves, you know, maybe just delay or obscure or obfuscate. I think that that could be what's going on. And also, we, you know, uh, Pete, we got uh, stories from uh, the Rolling Stone a couple weeks ago saying that the Trump was preparing to make Meadows the fall guy because he heard he was going to be subject to criminal charges. And I said, well, that stands to reason that the Trump lawyers would probably know better than the rest of us since he was paying out of you know, $2.2 million, I believe, in total to multiple law firms for January 6th witnesses. 
Now, they didn't specify whether or not they were for the committee. Some of them were. But these could also be lawyers for witnesses that have been deposed or questioned by a grand jury, federal grand jury. So they were saying that they thought that, that Meadows could be the great fall guy. And I noticed that um, Liz Cheney, chair of the 1-6 committee, didn't list him as one of the patsies in the opening of the eighth hearing. And so and Carol Lennig went on MSNBC and she's like, well, just keep your eyes out for some Meadow stuff coming out from the DOJ. I'm not going to say what, but I have a very educated and informed understanding of what's happening. Do, 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 do. So, you know, I put out this whole thread like something, some shit's going down with Meadows. And here it is. They, they've got his phone records. They've had him since April. We could talk about this all day. But speaking of the absolute idiocy of putting your crimes down in writing in emails, uh, we have some really other interesting breaking news from today. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. Big holy shit news today from the from New York Times. Previously undisclosed emails provide an inside look at the increasingly desperate and often slapdash efforts <laughs> by advisors to President Donald Trump to reverse his election defeat. Acknowledgements that a key element of their plan, part of this in these emails, Pete, they use the word fake when talking about the electors over and over again. The dozens of emails among people connected to the Trump campaign, outside advisors, associates of Trump, show particular focus on assembling lists of people who would claim with no basis to be electoral college electors on his behalf. They were, they were looking for suckers, right? Kind of like how Trump looks for judges to a point. It's like, where do I even find these assholes? Well, he found some. In emails reviewed by the Times and authenticated by people who had worked with the Trump campaign at the time, one lawyer involved in the detailed discussions repeatedly used the word fake to refer to the so-called electors who were intended to provide Pence and Trump allies in Congress a rationale for derailing the congressional process of certifying the outcome. And lawyers working on the proposal made clear they knew that the pro-Trump electors they were putting forward are probably illegal, <laughs> wouldn't hold up to legal scrutiny, at least, uh, which I think means illegal. But, it, you know, it's whatever semantics, quote. Here's here's one of the emails. We would just be sending in fake electoral votes to Pence so that someone in Congress could make an objection when they start counting votes and start arguing that the fake votes should be counted. That's Jack Willenchick, Phoenix-based lawyer who helped organize the pro-Trump electors in Arizona. Also, I think the lawyer to the cyber ninjas, by the way, and he wrote that in an email on December 8th to none other than Boris Epstein, a strategic advisor for the Trump campaign who played a bit of a role in the Mueller investigation, actually. In a follow-up email, Malinchik wrote that alternative votes is probably a better term than fake votes, sending a smiley face emoji with that. All I can think of is the Monty Python, the wink, wink, nudge, nudge, know what I mean? Nudge, know nudge. what I mean? Say no more. Terrible. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. Kelly Ward, is she a goer? Does she go? <laughs> I look forward, Pete, to the, uh, to the report or maybe a speaking indictment that says, you know, it was really... The smiley face emoji. If it had it been a winky face emoji, that would have definitely put us beyond there, a reason. Right. There's no intent behind a winky emoji. It's the smiling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Pete, the email show participants in the discussions reported details of their activities to Rudy. And in at least one case, who were we just talking about? Mark Meadows. But the main point of contact between the White House and the electoral coordinators is Boris Epstein here. The email show, I think it was just Epstein, but it's a, there's a, sh I don't know, he's whatever, Boris. The email show, he was point of contact for John Eastman, and he not only fielded and passed along to Giuliani the detailed proposal 
for January 6th prepared by Mr. Eastman. He also handled questions about how to pay Mr. Eastman and made the arrangements for him to visit the White House on January 4th, 2021. Does adding an element of being paid have any impact on the criminality of the crime or does it not matter really? I don't think it matters in the context of being paid. I, I mean, I want to think about that. I mean, clearly some of the, all the attorneys are going to claim that they are, you know, providing one that all this is privileged and they shouldn't have to disclose it. You know, there's crime fraud exceptions and a lot of other ways to pierce that. But certainly the non-attorneys like Trump and Meadows can say, I, you know, and I expect will say, I was told by the attorneys this was illegal. I was acting on advice of counsel. Bannon tried to do that, and I think the judge shut him down. But there is, you know, certainly being paid is, is not as big an issue as it is some of the folks who can claim that they were acting on the advice of their attorneys. Again, to your point of, you know, setting them up as fall guys, I don't know. You know, Meadows, I don't think, has that defense, but it'll be interesting to see. Again, it, it all comes, Meadows is... If I had to pick a guy to flip, it would be Meadows. And it seems like, you know, he is in the middle of all of these things that, you know, all these different events that are coming up in the past few days. But there's there's something here, though, uh, that comes a a little bit later in the story that tells me that that kind of blows holes in that defense. The whole, well, the people I was listening to were telling me I was just listening to the people I was listening to, because we'll find out later in the story that he was willfully being blind. And, and there's a little bit of evidence for that, right? Okay, so the main, so that's the main point of contact is Epstein. And he also, by the way, handled questions about how to pay Mr. Eastman, as I said, and main, made the arrangements for Eastman to visit the White House during that January 4th, 2021 meeting, which I'm sure was, they, prosecutors asked questions about to Mark Short and Greg Jacob. Keep in mind that meeting was not only attended by Eastman, Pence, and Trump himself, but Short and Jacob, right? And and Epstein and Mike Roman coordinated with Jenna Ellis, Bruce Marks, Gary Brown and Christina Bob. Bob is the one American News Network lady who were all advising Trump. The Times doesn't mention it, but Bob had emailed Trump's lawyers, including Victoria Tonzing and Joe DeGeneva and Rudy about coordinating the electors, including how to get them into the actual state capitals to certify them. Like, well, maybe they can sneak in and spend the night, you know, and hide overnight. And if Mike Roman sounds familiar, we reported last week, he was the dude that delivered the fraudulent elector certificates for Wisconsin and Michigan to Rep. Mike Kelly's office, who tried to get Pence's chief of staff to let Ron Johnson hand deliver them to Pence on the day of January 6th. So that's who Roman is. I'm telling you, I have the murder board up and ready to go. The Times reported these emails weren't shared with people like Hirschman and Cipollone. And here's the, here's the point I was making to you. These emails were not shared with people like Hirschman and Patsy Baloney. And, you know, which I think is what shows secrecy. I think it goes to that willful blindness. Not that we need it with these idiots referring to them as fake electors. But God damn it anyways. I mean, if you're purposefully, well, I guess it's hard to prove that you're purposefully not sending them to a team of lawyers who would disagree with them. But they know that these lawyers disagree. They, they kept Pat Cipollone out of several meetings. That has to show some sort of willful blindness, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. And there's a pattern of it. I mean, this wasn't just a one-off. You know, they had that December 18th meeting where Giuliani and Sidney Powell and the the Overstock guy snuck in with Flynn and, you know, Cipollone runs in late saying what the hell's going on and trying, you know, will along with Hirschman and gets into shouting arguments. But there is this time and time and time again now we see that you know, at least Trump and or Meadows, maybe others are cutting out the, you know, general counsel's office because they don't want somebody cover White House counsel. 
they don't want somebody coming in who's going to tell them, you know, that's illegal. You're going to go to jail. You shouldn't do that. So, you know, one one off, maybe you might make an argument. Oh, I didn't know I should. But when you start seeing it again and again and again, you know, in my mind, it clearly that is something as a prosecutor. I think you could put on it showing a, a pattern of behavior that it isn't it isn't inadvertent that there's a pattern of behavior that and then show all the other meetings where White House counsel was <laughs> present and say, OK, what you know, one of these is not like the other. What category of things do you studiously avoid having anybody from the White House counsel's office? And it happens to be all the coup plotting. So, yeah. And Trump even saying to them, like, you're not with me. You, you guys clearly aren't with me with the whole Rosen and Clark thing. You guys aren't with me. And then, of course, the, the wonderful Sidney Powell chugging her diet Dr. Pepper and saying, I think Cipollone set a land speed, speed record, record trying yeah. to get over them. That might come back to bite her in yeah. the ass. Uh, you know, that's totality of evidence, right? Yeah. And the interesting thing, too, when you start telling, you know, these names from the uh, way back time machine, like Victoria Townsend and Joe DeGeneva, they were they were wrapped up with Rudy <laughs> and they had their stuff seized by SD in the Southern District of New York probably easily a year ago. And this was all they were, you know, work they were doing in Ukraine, a lot of work allegedly might have been doing for Dmitry Firtash, who's just a absolute no good, allegedly plenty of links to bad players, whether they are organized crime figures. This is all allegedly, you know, whether they are folks within the governments of Russia and Ukraine. So they were already the subjects of some scrutiny relating to Rudy up in SDNY. And again, the government got their devices a long time ago. I mean, you probably know the date better than April, I do. But I yeah. say, it was like a year ago, more than a year they ago. They got right? him in April. Of they got him in April. T1? Or 2021. April of 2021. And they also got Tonesing's phone. And Barbara Cohen, special master, went through all of it and then finally handed over the last of it to Department of Justice yeah. this past January. And so the way that works is, too, once you seize it, you have that whole device. And, you know, we went through this with Hillary Clinton's various devices and all kinds of other cases. You can seize a computer, whether it's a hard drive or a smartphone or whatever it is. But once you have that frequently, what you're allowed to search for within that is much more limited. So it could be like any information relating to event X. And so they may have gotten all these devices. There may be a lot of privileged information. That's what the special master was doing is going through saying, what is the government allowed to have and pulling that out? That doesn't stop, although there's some disagreement within the various circuits. In most cases, if once the government has that device in its possession, it doesn't stop, say, the government eight months later saying, wait a minute, we also think there's coup plotting going on, going to a judge with sufficient problem and cause to say, we think these phones that we searched from this Ukraine nonsense might also have coup plotting information in it. Give us a new warrant to look for that. And then getting that new um, legal authority then, they'd likely have to re-engage the, the same or a different special master or filter team in any event to go look now for the separate set of data. And so I would not be, I think the last time she gave a report was, was some time ago, three or four months ago. So I would not be surprised if there was some question or effort afoot within DOJ to say, okay, we've got all these devices. We initially were looking for all the Lev Parnas, you know, the fraud guarantee, best name company probably in the history of... Um, Do you know why he did that? <laughs> but to say, there might also be coup plotting in here. So let's go get a new warrant based on this new problem and cause that we have and to research that for a different purpose to get new information. Again, Rudy being Rudy, God knows what trove of information might be sitting there in all those devices and iCloud backups and everything else the government may have. Do, do you know why uh, they called it fraud guarantee? I don't. It's because this is a fun story. It's because 
Lev Parnas had been convicted of fraud previously. So every time you Googled his name, fraud would come up all over the place. So he decided to name his business Fraud Guarantee so that people would... It's like lean in. What was, what, there's that who well, love Parnas. They clearly were based on that history leaning in much like that book from Sheryl Sandberg where, you know, writing about you know, taking the reality where you find it and just leaning into your, your life and the challenges. So it didn't though in so well for them. Yeah. I mean, sometimes we read our bad podcast reviews cause they're funny, but you know, whatever. <laughs> Another bit of proof, a possible proof of a cover up on December 8th, Will and check wrote that Kelly Ward, one of the Republicans in Arizona, recommended trying to keep it all under wraps until Congress counts the vote on January 6th and put in parentheses, so we can try to surprise the Dems and the media with it. And I tend to agree with her. Yeah, I'm sure that's why, considering all the other information that we got about people telling people to keep this on the down low. Willinchuk also wrote December 8th, quote, his idea is basically that all of us, Georgia, Wisconsin, Arizona, Pennsylvania, et cetera, have our electors send in their votes, even though the votes aren't legal under federal law because they're not signed by the governor so that members of Congress can fight about whether they should be counted on January 6th. And this makes me think of that Trump call with Rosen when he commented that uh, he said, hey, why don't you just simply announce an investigation into election fraud and, quote, let me and the congressional Republicans do the rest, right? And Willinchuk went on to say, this is good, quote, kind of wild creative. I'm happy to discuss. My comment to him was that I guess there's no harm in it, legally at least, even though he just said it was illegal, i.e. we would be sending in fake electoral votes to Pence so that someone in Congress can make an objection when they start counting votes and start arguing that fake votes should be counted. (laughs) And by Christmas Eve... And this is, they put this right at the end of the article. Mr. Eastman seemed to want to harness the power of Trump's millions of supporters. At 8.04 p.m. that night, Christmas Eve, Merry Christmas, Eastman sent Epstein an email that he had received in which a woman implored him to ask Trump to put out what he would like his 74 million followers to do to help. She added, we need to be one voice with laser focus, speaking as 74 million strong. And in his email to Epstein, Eastman wrote, thought I'd forward you this. 74 million strong. Let's figure out a targeted way to deploy them. Rolling thunder, one legislature at a time, the others can see it coming, unquote. And that was just days after Trump sent his will be wild tweet, which seems to me might connect the elector scheme to the violence at the Capitol, which I always knew was probably the case as soon as Pete Navarro said it wasn't. When he was on Ari Melber and said, we didn't need violence. We had the Green Bay sweep. I'm like... That means he needed violence for the Green Bay sweep to work. That's exactly what that statement means. So that's that story, Pete. Yeah, absolutely. And last night, the Washington Post got a hold of the federal grand jury subpoena issued to the Arizona state lawmaker, uh, both Karen Fan and Kelly Townsend, issued by the Department of Justice that we talked a little bit earlier about. Subpoenas were released through a public records request, I think, to Arizona State. Mm-hmm. Request confirming what's previously been reported about the June demands for records related, quote, to the signing or mailing of any document purporting to be a certificate certifying elector votes in favor of Donald J. Trump and or Mike R. Pence. The documents released Monday cast a wide net for any communications that Fan and Townsend may have had with any member of the executive or legislative branch of the federal government, any representative or agent of Trump or his campaign or Trump boosters Jenna Ellis, Bernard Carrick, Rudy Giuliani, Boris Epstein, James Troupas, Joe DeGeneva, John Eastman, Joshua Finley, Justin Clark, Kenneth 
favorite name. I hope I'm pronouncing it right. Cheese bro. Yeah, you are. Well, I suppose it could be it could be Che Sabro, but I think I prefer Cheese bro. Mike Roman <laughs> yeah. or Victoria Tinsig? Tonsig. Townsend has previously said that as chair of the elections committee, she tried to conduct an investigation because legislators, quote, have plenary authority and responsibility to send the correct slate. And because it was in question, we wanted to have an alternate slate in case fraud was discovered and found, unquote. On Monday, she said she had one or two phone calls with Giuliani in December 2020, but no longer has the phone on which those calls were made much like the Secret Service weeks later. She said she has described <laughs> the nature of the calls to the FBI. Yeah, and you, and you were just talking about this. They have, they have, the feds have her phone. And, and so, like, they would just need a warrant, which seems like they have probable cause here, to go in and get other stuff besides the Ukraine. Well, so thing. did you, do you read that? Do you read that as she no longer has them because they've been seized by the FBI, or she no longer has them because she's gotten rid of them by bleaching them or smashing them with a hammer a la uh you know other folks in our well she doesn't say but she either smashed it with a hammer or the fbi has yeah and, and clearly she talked and i wouldn't say you know when you again this isn't necessarily the case but when you say hey i talked about this to the fbi that in my mind doesn't mean the grand jury i think most people like you know when you when you talk to the FBI, I think about that. You're sitting at the FBI in your office or in your home and you're talking to a couple of agents is a de very different experience when you go in front of the grand jury, which you're being questioned not by an FBI agent, by the assistant United States attorney. So when I hear her or it being described that she described it to the FBI, this is separate and distinct for any sort of grand jury subpoena. This is her being approached and I assume voluntarily talking to the FBI, whether or not she later went into the the grand jury, uh, you know, she clearly now has a subpoena, but uh, whether she did at the time, I don't know. But she continues, quote, they asked me not to talk about it because of the investigation. Townsend told the Washington Post in an interview. She said it was her impression <laughs> that FBI's were seeking information about one of Trump's attorneys. Hmm. The subpoenas are signed by Thomas Wyndham, a federal prosecutor who has been tasked with investigating the false elector scheme. And as you pointed out on Twitter, Allison, everyone mentioned in the emails obtained by the New York Times today appears on these subpoenas. Yeah, I think that, I, you know, I, and that could be a thing or it's maybe just, you know, it's obvious, right? It's obvious who you need to talk to. <laughs> we don't necessarily need that. But yeah, the DOJ has said multiple times, I think Garland just said it on Lester Holt, and they've said it in these stories as well, that they're doing their own investigation. It has nothing to do with what the committee's doing. We're ahead of them in some ways. We're behind them in other ways. We need some of their stuff. They need some of our stuff. And, and that's just that's just the nature of ongoing parallel investigations, I think. So and if you've been listening to the beans for the past week, you know how I feel about Kafari. This is the Trump appointed DHS Office of Inspector General guy and how I thought it was sus that he, he shut down a potentially fruitful internal Secret Service probe, the one that had found metadata on 10 phones uh, of the missing text messages. He shut that down in favor of his criminal uh, Inspector General probe into the missing Secret Service text messages. Well, today, two top House Democrats are calling for the Department of Homeland Security IG to recuse himself from the investigation into the Secret Service text messages, saying they've lost confidence after he failed to inform Congress for months that messages around January 6th may have been erased. It took a couple of whistleblowers, actually. House Oversight Chairwoman Carolyn Maloney and House Homeland Security Chairman Benny Thompson, who's also chairs that 1-6 committee we know, wrote a letter to the DHS Inspector General, Kufari, Tuesday, 
saying your failure to tell Congress the Secret Service wasn't providing records cast serious doubt on your independence and your ability to effectively conduct such an important investigation. Quote, these omissions left Congress in the dark about key developments in this investigation and may have cost investigators precious time to capture the relevant evidence. And uh, you'll remember every time I complain about Kafari, I mentioned he quashed probes into the use of force against peaceful protesters at Lafayette Square Park and the danger, a probe into the danger that Trump posed to the Secret Service with regards to COVID in the last days of of his administration. Well, guess what? These Democratic chairs added that this is not the first time Kafari has been unwilling to investigate the agency. Quote, according to reports, Inspector General Kafari previously refused to investigate the Secret Service's actions surrounding excessive use of force, as well as its protocols on protecting officials during the coronavirus pandemic, contradicting recommendations from the DHS OIG career staff. So thank you. Thank you for putting forth my concerns. Yeah, it's and what a mess. I mean, some of this, it's really important to understand, like, the, the, the timeline involved here. Like, when you're sending, there are these missing text messages, right? And there are a bunch of places those can be. They're obviously going to be potentially on the phones that personnel were using. But then they also can be a number of other places. Like, every phone, like, the government doesn't run its own telecom, right? They use they, a variety, primarily Verizon and AT&T are the big two, but there are other companies that probably don't have the actual content, but they may keep records of the metadata of text going back and forth. And what's really important here is, one, you have those companies, you know, the Verizon or AT&T, I have heard, although not confirmed, that Secret Service was using Apple's, in which case, you know, when you're using like an iMessage, that's actually goes through not the carrier, but goes through Apple. So there's another party that might have that data somewhere out in the, you know, Apple's cloud somewhere in the metadata. Where it becomes really important, a lot of these places, they don't maintain it forever. There are frequently 12 or 18 months sort of automatic deletion windows. So they'll hold this data, this metadata for a year, maybe 18 months. And after that, it's sort of automatically deleted and it just kind of keeps running whatever the most recent 18 months are. Well, guess what? You know, we're talking January of 2021, the events in question on the 6th. Add 18 months and where does that get us? That gets us to... July 6th, or maybe June, I think July of 2022. And so what happened that 18 months hit, and then magically a week or two later, Kafari comes forward and says, you know, I want to talk to Congress. I want to brief you. Mm. And it's like, oh, by the way, it's it, we're, we're at 18 months and two weeks where a lot of the stuff may have been deleted. Oh, by the way, I've known about this for four months. Had I told you about this in February or March, you would have had potentially a much better chance for these telecoms or people who may only hold it for 18 months. Had you known about it then, you could have reached out with a subpoena saying, maintain all this, produce all this information. So I always felt like he was involved somehow. I really always felt like he was involved somehow, seriously. And, I, you know, it takes you need to be an investigator to know that that's a really to do that intentionally is kind of extraordinarily devious and obstruction, frankly. But there's so much that stinks about this just across the board. It's just a mess. And, you know, we'll we'll see. I think there will inevitably. Well, that and that and there, there was too much. There's no way there's no way those agents on the detail. I mean, look, when you're in it, they're on they're on radios, they're on HTs, they're talking. And we heard some of it in the January 6th committee. They're talking on the radio. But when you get to the point where everybody's in that secure location with Pence, when you go off shift, when you're sitting there and kind of just <laughs> you get off shift, you're sitting there, get a drink, go home, whatever it is. talking to your family, your buddies, there inevitably, I am certain, are all kinds of texts saying, holy shit, you wouldn't believe what happened, or there's this fight, or I heard from so-and-so this or that or the other thing. To sit there and say that, you know, there aren't text messages, I I find that impossible to believe. 
maybe not in the heat of the moment when they're trying to get Pence safely out of there, but when it finally decompressing, (laughs) there's chatter. Guaranteed. Yeah. And, you know, I put out a tweet. I was like, do you know how hard you have to work to permanently lose these text messages? And you just saying, you know, if the if the automatic cutoff date for deletion is 18 months and the, the OIG waits until 18 months and two weeks to come in and say, hey, there might be a problem. And I don't know, but now all the evidence is gone and, you know, it's gone. That's that's what that is. Uh, I never liked this guy. Never trusted him. And I also have to wonder why on earth. In the late fall of 2020, when this Green Bay sweep was being planned, why you would purposefully schedule a migration that could lose data in January of 2021, if that you knowing that that's when that shit is going to go down. Yeah, and I can, and also, I, can, I mean, yeah, I can see that being just bureaucratic, left hand not talking to the right, and the tech guys don't have any idea what's going on operationally. They're not even thinking that. I mean, they may be thinking like we want to have it done before the inauguration, but they're not thinking the certification of the vote. But but when you get to the point where something like that, again, goes down and you just had January 6th, why there would not be an immediate sort of across the board sense that we just went through something extraordinary. We need to kind of make sure we got hold on to everything, right? Preserve it because we need a record of it. 50,000 congressional committees are going to ask for it. Investigators in the IG may ask for it. Just keep all this stuff, not here, let me turn to my phone. I got to get rid of it. I, it just, it, right. it doesn't, it doesn't add up, uh, unfortunately. No, it doesn't, it doesn't stand up to scrutiny. And I'm, I'm glad they're asking him to recuse. And I hope that he does. I hope they find a reliable one. Yeah. We'll see. And talking about things that are deleted or crossed out, we already know about the crossed out lines in the January 7th Trump speech that the January 6th committee released on Monday. But former Mueller prosecutor Andrew Weissman points out something that was in Trump's speech is having potential criminal implications. Trump says, I immediately deployed the National Guard and federal law enforcement to secure the building and expel the intruders, the speech said. America is and must always be a nation of law and order. Well, of course, that's a lie. And the committee released some of the audio of under oath testimony by Christopher Miller to the committee, who said Trump never ordered any National Guard deployment on or before the attack on the Capitol. Let's listen to that clip. I want to be clear here that since then, in February of 2021, Mark Meadows said on Fox News News that, quote, even in January, that was a given. As many as 10,000 National Guard troops were told to be on the ready by the Secretary of Defense. Is there any accuracy to that statement? I'm not... Not from my perspective, I was never given any direction or order or do of any plans of, of that nature. So I, I was surprised by uh, seeing that publicly, but I don't know the context or even where it was. So no, there was no, we obviously had plans for activating more folks, uh, but that was not anything more than contingency planning. There was no official message traffic or anything of that nature regarding. Just so we're, we're clear, you did not have 10,000 troops to be on the ready prior for January 6th, prior to January 6th. Uh, a non-military person probably could have some sort of weird interpretation, but no, to answer this question, no, no that was not uh, part of my plan or the Department of Defense's plan. And just that the rest of his statement was, quote, that was a direct order from President Trump, and yet 
here is what we see, all kinds of blame going around, but not a whole lot of accountability. And to be, to be crystal clear, there was no direct order from President Trump to put 10,000 troops to be on the ready for January 6th. Correct? No. Yeah, you're, that's correct. There was no direct, there was no order from the president. Weissman told Nicole Wallace on Deadline White House that therein lies a cover-up. Now, this is Weissman speaking. One of the things I was struck by was not what was crossed out, but something that was in there. And that was the statement that I immediately deployed the National Guard and federal law enforcement to secure the building and expel the intruders, quoted Weissman. So if I was the Justice Department right now, I would view that as a cover-up that Jared Kushner and Stephen Miller and the former president of the United States engaged in to make it seem like the president had not engaged in a coup and he actually was against what happened on January 6th. And that was actually part of the planned speech. And that's the kind of thing that we want to see the department doing, going out and interviewing those people, issuing grand jury subpoenas, and if necessary, putting those people in the grand jury and forcing them to testify and account for their actions. So, I, you know, I think he's right about that. I think this is something that, you know, it is the reason is that it's in there and it's in there because it was pre-planned. And when you have all these events that are contrary to that, all this indication that he didn't provide any direction about the National Guard, quite to the contrary, you know, studiously avoided doing anything, to have the forethought to put in a speech, to keep it in there, clearly shows a, a premeditation and an awareness of the issue. So I think, you know, I think Andrew is absolutely right. And, you know, to his point, I absolutely agree with it. Put people in the grand jury. And it's a repeated message. It's a repeated message that he said over and over again. And also, they, uh, because of that, you know, that testimony from Christopher Miller just came out today from the January 6th committee. Somebody pointed out on Twitter, hey, this is weird. Here's Christopher Miller and Kosh Patel on Fox News on Hannity saying Trump, that they swore and under oath and testified to the January 6th committee that Trump did order actually 20,000 National Guard troops. That's what they told Fox News. When you play that back to back with the actual under oath testimony, that tells quite a different story because they asked three times and said, to be clear, did Trump ever order any National Guard troops to be deployed either before or on January 6th? Is that correct? And, and Christopher Miller said, nope, that is correct. That We never got an order like that from the president. Yeah, remarkable. I mean, think of it. You know, Mark Meadows not telling the truth on Fox News. Who ever could have envisioned something like that ever happening? But. I think, you know, again, to the point of these aren't a speech isn't just Trump ad living. I mean, we saw and again, thanks to the January 6th committee, he's sitting there. Somebody has written a speech. So there's one or two people who have written down what he wants to say, probably after talking to him. He's walking through it. Ivanka's cheering him on and helping him with how to say yesterday and, you know, whatever the case may be. But <laughs> there are all these people. It isn't just Trump extemporaneously speaking. So when you get to something like this speech, there are multiple people who are involved in this process. And when you start putting, it is hard, if you're going to lie and try and say that didn't happen, to get four or five people all on the same sheet of music to walk into a grand jury and maintain that lie is really tough, particularly, you know, with a good prosecutor sitting there trying to poke apart the details, you're going to get to the truth when you have that many people involved. So I'm, I'm looking forward to whatever comes out through hopeful grand jury testimony of these folks. Yeah, me too. Uh, all right, everybody, that is the news. We're going to be right back just after this quick break with the good news. Stick around. After these messages, we'll be Hey everybody, it's AG, and two of my favorite things are laughing and sleep. So let's start with laughing. This is something that you need. You need news that is smart, funny, inspiring, 
you need the Final Word podcast with Frangela. America's BFFs will keep you informed and energized while you hashtag resist with new podcasts out every Wednesday. Then get your laugh on with new episodes of Frangela's Hysterical Idiot of the Week podcast, where Frangela fights one smooth brain story at a time. Check out The Final Word and Idiot of the Week on MSW Media and the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network every week and follow at Frangela Duo on all your social media today. And then the sleep part. I used to not be able to sleep very well, as you know. I used to toss and turn. I thought it was anxiety, but I was sleeping on a mattress made for someone else. But that's when Helix came to my rescue because with Helix, you're getting a mattress that you know will be perfect for the way you sleep. Everyone's unique and Helix knows that, so they have several different mattress models to choose from. Soft, medium, firm, mattress is great for cooling you down. They even have a Helix Plus mattress for plus-size sleepers. I took their two-minute online sleep quiz, and my perfect mattress is the Helix Midnight because I'm a side sleeper and I like a medium-firm bed. It is super comfortable. I love it. I get the best night's sleep of my life. Plus, Helix was awarded number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. Helix has been recommended by multiple leading chiropractors as a go-to solution for improving your sleep and, you know, waking up without aches and pains. So go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. Take their two-minute online sleep quiz. They'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. It ships for free, comes with a 10-year warranty. You get to try it out for 100 sleeps risk-free, and if you don't love it, they'll come pick it up and give you a full refund. They even have financing options available at Helix, so a good night's sleep is never far away. Right now, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for listeners at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. That's Helix Sleep, H-E-L-I-X sleep.com slash dailybeans for up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news, everyone? Then good news, everyone. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, corrections, confessions, Halloween photos, uh, whoopee stories, uh, you want to play What the Mutt, that's where you send in your rescue dog, and I try to really uh, badly guess what breeds your dog is. If you want to play Find a Cat, uh, any photos, seriously, send ever, everything that you want, anything you could possibly think of. You can send it into us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. I'm going to kick us off, Pete, with a submission from Carolyn, pronouns she and her. So this is more sharing Halloween photos than good news, but I do have some good news, too. I'm going on vacation at the end of the week. We have an epic road trip planned from Portland, I love Portland, through Western Canada, which I'm very excited about. Oh, that's so cool. But on to the Halloween photos. My husband and I had two solid years of teamwork. That's fucking teamwork. I love it. In crafting Halloween costumes for our kids, the most epic of which were the LED projects. Whoa, (laughs) the LED projects we took on. The first year, we attempted to emulate Taylor Swift's uh, LED dress from the 1989 tour, worn to the song, How You Get the Girl. Uh, It was loads of fun, although it didn't last the night with the stress that, oh, um, walking put on the wires. (laughs) The next year, we learned our lesson and created a light-up jellyfish costume instead. There were other problems with that, but definitely caught the crowd's eye as we wandered through Disneyland. I wish I could post videos. Look at these. Look at the jellyfish. Oh, it's fantastic. And even the dress. I mean, they were they were making it sound they didn't do a good job, but it's fantastic. She's got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight easily long strings of LEDs under a fantastic dress lit up with a big bone full of those nerds, which would be my favorite. But no, it's spectacular. And then the <laughs> nerds are your favorite? They are. I, you know, as as far as like hard candy goes, if I went to chocolate, I'd probably have to go with Reese's. But nerds when it comes to just sugar candy. Nerds are spectacular. So and yeah, they are good. It's wonderful. 
All right. All right. Now uh, you go ahead and take the next two because this this yeah one's absolutely. Short. So I have Mrs. M. She her simply sent a pic, just a picture of Maisie in the moment, and Maisie is a beautiful. Looks like a uh, a lab on a bed of violets, or at least violet covered flowers. Simply enjoying the uh, absolutely enjoying the moment outside, slightly overcast day with a beautiful big dog smile and a little blip of uh, tongue coming out. Uh, it looks, you know, this is this is a good thing to do on the show because it decompresses all the all the anger and agita of the earlier portion of the show. I can understand why you do it and now, but Maisie's just Pete, lovely. Pete, you are really good at describing photos. Yeah. I love this. Thank you. <laughs> Go ahead and take the next one too, because I almost pretty sure. Yeah. So Kate, she, her says, "Good morning, Bean Queens," which I don't be a temporary king or something, but. I have been so blessed the past few months that I couldn't help but share my joy. I will be completing my master's of nursing degree in the next few weeks with honors. Congratulations. And I've already been offered my goal job of becoming part of the nursing faculty at Kauai Community College. Being that that is the only place on island to obtain this dream job, it was a bit nerve-wracking waiting to hear. Even more exciting, with the pandemic over, I've finally had the opportunity since moving to Kauai to become a coach for our Westside Youth Girls Basketball Club and volunteer with our Kauai Girl Scouts. My true passion is working with young people, just a silly auntie that tries to show them that we can be responsible and still have fun too, as demonstrated by my pole dancing unicorn tattoo. (laughs) (laughs) um, But it's a lovely photo of the pole dancing tattoo, but it continues... (laughs) One of my favorite moments so far was learning that one of my players identifies as bisexual. And when I asked them what pronoun they would prefer, they teared up as they had never so casually been asked that. I hugged them and, not to brag, have never felt like a better role model than at that moment. I included a picture of my sweet tattoo and pet tax of my even sweeter boys caught in WrestleMania mode, Kai in gray and Nalu in orange, which in Hawaiian mean ocean and wave a.k.a. my favorite place in the world. Also included my favorite picture of Nalu, if pure joy had a face, that is it. Or is he stoned, LOL. Aloha and mahalo for all that you do. Yes, queens and kings. And there is indeed a pole dancing unicorn with yes, gloriously is. flowing rainbow mane and tail. And then the their cats, the two, I guess, are the, uh, go back and find the names. Um, Nalu and Kai, Kai and Gray, yeah, uh, wrestling and playing on the floor and sleeping, which is spectacular. Oh, oh hi, kitty! I love Kauai. It's one of my favorite. It's my. I, it's one of my favorite islands. I've never been. Oahu is it, and I've I've heard you got to get off Oahu and see um, mm-hmm. everything else that. Yep, Kauai the and then Maui and then Big Island are tied for first place for me. But no, I absolutely love Kauai. It's got it's like more like extreme, like zip lining jungle, like hiking mountains, like this Jurassic Park is like it's if you do the you can go down uh, tubing down the old sugar plantation uh, water aqueducts. And it's just it's absolutely beautiful and super fun. All right. I'm going to take uh, the next two, the last two here. I'll just do this from Lisa pronoun she and her happy place. This is my home office. I sent a question or comment. Spiro Agnew and wanted to send a pet pic. Uh, these are my good babies, Wes and Thena. I uh, won't ask you to name the mutt. You can't mistake them. <laughs> no, they are not related. Look at these German Shepherd dogs. No. Oh. Fantastic. One, They're so regal. 
Absolutely. One ears perked up looking, the other one kind of ears back. I don't know if yeah. it's mellower, but both clearly looking at something off screen, I, I would imagine food, but who knows? Maybe a bird. They're lovely. Yeah. Just, yeah, absolutely beautiful. Very, very good dogs. They're dogs know. And I always say, why always good dog? Why not great dog? So they're great dogs. Good boy. Yeah, that's good boy. And uh, yeah, I mean, Major Biden knew, right? Knew. <laughs> and finally, from anonymous pronouns, she and her. Hello, ladies. And Pete. I love your show. I listen every morning as I get ready for work. When Donna Summer starts singing, I look in the mirror to lip sync the hot notes part and I giggle. Okay. Thank you so much because I'm so proud of the hot notes stinger. If you haven't heard it, Pete, it's it's Donna Summer and she's like, looking for some. And then my voice comes in and just goes, hot notes, baby, this evening. It's, it's, it's I made it five years ago and I still love it. Um, the good news is this life-changing decision my husband and I made last year. We needed to start planning for retirement. We realized we could not do it if we stayed where we were. So after 26 years of teaching, I quit. It was an easy decision to make. I was burned out and not feeling appreciated. We sold our big expensive house in the crowded suburbs and downsized to a simple ranch on an acre of land in the mountains. Oh, that sounds so delightful. Recently, I was hired as the DMV clerk for my small village as an educator. It's my nature to inform and help. I really enjoy helping customers with what they need to get their driver's license, title, and register their vehicles and help them with their motor vehicle needs. As we all know, this is no easy task. It is a good feeling when my customers say, this is the best DMV experience I've ever had. And you know what? I love this because when I started working at the VA, we didn't really have a reputation for having the most friendly customer service. So I was like, it's going to be really easy to wow everybody, you know, just with just a little bit of kindness. And when you're over the top, like, like anonymous is here, it's got to be such a breath of fresh air, especially at the DMV. I'm getting compliments from the community and it feels so good to be appreciated. Making this move was the best decision we've ever made for my pet tax. I give you my three boys. Keep up the good fight. Look at the dough. Boys are spectacular. And what an acre in the mountain sounds spectacular right now. I've just, I've always figured if I retire, I want to go to more wide open spaces. So leaving the suburbs and and going to a ranch on an acre of land sounds spectacular. But those dogs are, it looks like a dachshund. It may not be a dachshund, but they're two just with striking brown eyes. I mean, the eyes are remarkable on those. I think the middle one is a beast front. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. But uh, gorgeous boys. That's uh, oh, and the little guy in the back. Look at with his little ears and his little gray snout. So cute. Oh, thank you everyone for sending these in. And and Pete, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for helping me read the good news and the and the the not so good news up front. Actually, it was pretty good news today up front. We got some really yeah, good. agreed progress. Right, tangible, noticeable, yes. visible progress, which I think hopefully reassures people, settles people. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, just to see a headline: Department of Justice investigating Trump. You know, it's like oh. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I've been I've been waiting for that. I've been saying it and people have been calling me crazy. But now we finally have some, you know, Washington Post back backs me up today. So if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, anything you want to send us, you can do so by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. And, um, uh, you know, Pete, do you have any final thoughts before we get out of here today? No. Can't wait to see what uh, inevitably there's going to be the chasing New York Times article in the Washington Post where they feel compelled to, like, hit their sources for a little more. So I am looking forward to see, you know, much like Liz Cheney said, the dam is beginning to break. I assume with this new cycle, there is more to come. So we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. yeah. Tune in tomorrow, right? right? 
Yes, and we will be back tomorrow. Until then, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q. I've been AG. And I'm Pete. (laughs) Them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. <laughs>